Bokertov, good morning. Welcome everyone as we're coming to an Aliyah a day. Baruch Hashem, hope you're having a good morning so far. <clears throat> an Aliyah a day. We are now on the fifth Aliyah. The Aliyah of uh, Toldot, Parsha Toldot, the book of Genesis. We're looking at uh, chapter 26, the Aliyah, the fifth Aliyah. Hamishi begins in the 30th uh, verse. So, Baruch Hashem, Bokertov once again. Shalom Alechem. Glad that you're with me today. So let's begin reading because there's a lot to uh, cover in this particular Aliyah. A lot of good things, a lot of great things. Baruch Hashem. So, we are in, as I said, Bracious, uh chapter 26, verse 30. If you have the Art scroll Chumash, you are on page 133. So it says, talking about the, uh, we ended with Abimelech coming and making Shuba to Isaac, and they got into a, uh, they uh, had a covenant together. And so uh, now we find the conclusion of that. It says, he made them a feast and they ate and drank. They awoke early in the morning and swore to one another. Then Isaac saw them off and they departed from his from him in peace. And it was that very day that Isaac's servants came to him and told him about the well they had dug. And they said to him, we have found water. We have found water. So the sages write that the reason that Hashem had this happen is to uh, impress Abimelech, to give uh, Isaac some more props, so to speak, in front of Abimelech, that the Abimelech would know that in fact he was blessed and uh, just kind of put an exclamation mark on that because the issue, remember, had been about wells and who's, who, whose water belonged to whom and so on. And so Hashem puts a uh, exclamation mark on it and says, uh, here is water for you. So he says in verse 33, and he named it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba unto this very day, which means the uh, well of seven or seven wells. Now, it says in verse 34, we get into the discussion of Esau, and we're getting ready to uh, move into chapter 27, where we have Isaac, who's going to bless who he thinks to be Esau, ends up blessing Isaac. So it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took a wife, Judah, daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basma, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So he has two Hittite wives. And they were a source of spiritual rebellion to Isaac and to Rebekah. This is uh, very tragic. You know, they have a son. He takes two wives. They're idolaters. Esau had a particular way of deception himself. It says here in the Art Scroll Commentary, according to Rashi, who's citing the Midrash, most likely the Midrash Tankuma, it says that Esau is compared to a swine. Esau is compared to a swine. That is, when he lays down, he stretches out his cloven hoof as if to say, see, I'm a kosher animal. But it says, similarly, the princess of Esau robbed and extort while they pretend to be honorable. So it was with Esau. Until he was 40, he had been living immorally, enticing married women from their husbands. But when he became 40, he said hypocritically that he would follow the example of his father who got married at 40. However, Instead of following his father, he instead, because his father married a godly woman, he instead married idolatrous woman, women. So again, 
we often talk about life lessons as we're going through the Aliyah. And all of this wonderful life lesson is that we cannot be people who, uh, uh, as we're living for Mashiach, and we're trying to live a Jewish life in Mashiach, we can't just meet on Saturday and wear a kippah on Saturday and wear a tallit gadol on Saturday and then go out to eat at the restaurant, a non-kosher restaurant on Saturday. Or maybe uh, have the gift shop open in our uh, uh, quote-unquote synagogue on Saturday. Or uh, walk around wearing uh, tzitzit, but, you know, we're uh, having cheeseburgers or whatever. You know, the, the point being is that we can't pretend to be kosher um, just for the sake of uh, looks, but not, in fact, be kosher. Because Hashem, number one, doesn't honor that. Number two, it's completely unethical. Number three, it's not even really the point. The point is we're supposed to be following Mashiach and not to, to be concerned about that. So the outside, it's not a, this is not a profound statement. The outside should reflect the inside. And so whenever that doesn't happen, then our mission is to make tikkun and to try to make tshuva and try to find out uh, what the problem is, right? Baruch Hashem. So we get into chapter 27. And it says, And it came to pass when Isaac had become old, and his eyes dim from seeing, that he summoned Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he said, Here I am. Now, really great insight here that's brought down in the article Kumash in really uh, pretty good detail. It's mentioned in other sources as well, of course, because obviously the article is pulling from those sources. But it gives us some reasons why Isaac had bad eyesight. Now, on the, uh, the, the shock level, on the basic level, he had bad eyesight because he was old. His eyes had dimmed because of age. And that is pointed out by Ramban. It's also pointed out by Sforno. Um, <clears throat> but there are some other reasons given in the ancient sources as to why Isaac's eyes were dimmed, why he had trouble seeing. And we're going to look at this from the standpoint of of being able to see physically, but also to being able to see spiritually. So it says here that from the smoke of the incense that Esau's wives ordered, or offered rather, to their idols. So it says that basically one of the reasons why that Isaac had poor eyesight, the one reason why his, his spiritual eyes were dim, was because of the incense of the idolatry that Esau's wives were offering. Now, keep in mind, Esau's wives are, for all intents and purposes, living in their father's house. They're living in their father's house. And so what happens is, is when we allow idolatry to come into our lives, uh, no matter what little bit it is, in this case, we're talking about incense, we're talking about smoke, we're talking about the uh, secondhand smoke of idolatry. The secondhand smoke of idolatry has the spiritual possibility of blinding us to truth. This is why we have to be careful. Now, I want to be careful to be careful. Uh, we don't need to be out uh, hypersensitive about uh, idolatry. People ask me very often, Rabbi, is Thanksgiving an idolatrous uh, pagan holiday? No, it's not. It's a national holiday. It's not paganism. Uh, so, I, 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 Rabbi, uh, my, my daughter wants a horse for Hanukkah, a little toy horse, uh, but I don't want to have any images in my house. That's not idolatry. Come on, we're talking about a toy horse. But at the same time, 
we don't want to be dismissive and say, well, my friends, they're inviting me over to the uh, Xmas holiday, so, you know, um, it's just friends. God, I'm going to go over there and have a good time. No, we can't do it. Jew can't do that. <laughs> now, you can invite somebody to, this is where it gets a little complicated, or at least a little uncomfortable. You can invite your friend to your Hanukkah party, but you cannot go to their Xmas party. I know it sounds it sounds unfair, right? Well, how come that's going to sound rude if I say you can come to my Hanukkah? The reason is simple. Hanukkah is from Hashem, and the other is not. So it's very simple. Jew is not allowed to do that. And so the point being for the Jew is that we have to be careful of, of not allowing real idolatry. Having a little connection off issue here. We're not allowed to have real idolatry in our lives because that can make our eyesight poor. Now, the next issue that we have is, it says, when Isaac lay bound on the altar of the Akedah, as the Akedah, the ministering angels wept over him, and their tears fell into his eyes and dimmed them. This means that Isaac saw a heavenly vision of the suffering angels. I think it's interesting the way that Archskull puts this, as the suffering angels. And uh, this, as a result, he had a sight beyond ordinary human powers, and the glow of the vision weakened his eyes. This is from Gracious Rabbah. So Isaac saw something that he... Uh, would cause a poor eyesight. And number number uh, or at least the yeah, number three. Providence caused his blindness so that Jacob might receive the blessing without Isaac realizing whom he was blessing. This comes from Midrash Tanakh Tuma. It's also informative, instructive to us, because very often we say that Hashem causes things to happen, that he uh, makes things happen, that he is the uh, purpose behind everything. And that's really true, that Hashem is the one who is sovereign, that he is, uh, uh, he is the one that orchestrates everything, he's the one that causes everything to happen, and so we have to put complete trust in Hashem that we do not uh, lose sight, no pun intended, of the fact that he is in ultimate control. So, we have here now moving into the rest of the story, verse 2, and it says, And he said, See now, let me go ahead and reconnect here on the, on the uh, visuals. We're listening on podcast. Okay, Brugashem. So in verse 2, we had a little bit of an issue with the internets here on the. Uh, on the visual part, but everything that I've said is copied on the podcast, so I apologize for that. So it says in verse 2, And he said, See now I have aged, I know not the day of my death. Now sharpen, if you please, your, your gear, your sword and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then make me delicacies such as I love, and bring it to me, and I will eat, so my soul may bless you before I die. So basically what it amounts to is that according to the uh, commentaries that, that Isaac wanted and he really desired 
that Isaac should go out and, and perform a mitzvah before he received his blessing. He was trying to help his son to create a mitzvah uh, before, uh, before he should uh, receive his bracha. So he sent him out on a journey that um, would actually be a little bit arduous. That he would actually try to find game and that the reason, the whole reason for this is he'd be doing a mitzvah for his father. He would be trying to help his father uh, bring food. Now it says here, Isaac's wish for food was to satisfy his bodily appetite so that physical need would not interfere with his spiritual bliss. The prophetic spirit, it says in the Talmud, Shabbos 30b, the prophetic spirit can only rest upon someone who is in a state of joy. A state of joy. So we have to be joyful if we want and expect Hashem to uh, speak to us. We cannot receive a word from Hashem if we are in anger. We cannot receive a word from Hashem if we are in, uh, as it were, sadness. So we have Rebecca's scheme. So Rebecca says in verse 5, verse, with, uh, verse, yes, verse 5, now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring. So it says. But Rebekah had said to Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and make me delicacies to eat, and I will bless you in the presence of Adonai before my death. So, so Rebekah had this issue. Or not this issue, but she had this idea of the scheme. Why did Rebecca have the idea of the scheme? Why? What was in her heart? Why did she want to deceive her husband so much? And the answer is, is because she understood from the prophecy of, of her uh, going to the house of Shem and Ever. Remember that she was told by Shem and Ever that she had two nations at war in her body. So she was told that the younger one will be served by the older one. So she knew that this was actually Hashem's will that her son Jacob should be uh, blessed and not her son, her son Esau. This, so this is why Rebecca had the uh, intuitiveness, I guess you'd say, or the propensity to, uh, to make this scheme. However, Yaakov was not happy about it. He was very reluctant about it. He was not interested in, in really deceiving his father, which is why he uh, makes the statements he does to his mother. All right, so I love the insight here. I think it's very interesting, the insight from the article Fumash that it says about this. It says, for Jacob, this was the ultimate test. What were they talking about? The test of deceiving his father was the ultimate test for Jacob. It says this was his personal akedah or akedah, a test of awesome proportions. Now, we've really got to read into this spiritually to see the connection. But basically, it says because the sages derived from Scripture, Jacob personified truth. And was to receive the blessing that was to be ratified by God, whose very seal is truth. But his mother was commanding him to secure those blessings by perpetuating a falsehood against his father. For Jacob to behave in such a way was totally foreign to his nature. Thus, 
Both brothers were to engage in difficult tasks to earn the blessing. Esau was to hunt and risk his life trying to get the game. Jacob was at home risking his soul, his spiritual essence. So what I like about that is because it says that this test was like a self-sacrifice. It was like laying down on the altar. So we have each patriarch has experienced a akeda, which means that we experience the akeda in the similar fashion of our forefathers. So Abraham's akeda was that he offered his son. Isaac's akeda was that he offered his very life. And Jacob's Akeda was that he offered his very soul. That is, he surrendered his will to the will of God. So, we can look at it like this. Abraham, in offering his son, was willing to give up everything for the sake of God. We, too, can offer our proverbial son by being willing to give up our whole, uh, our whole life, so to speak, our, our whole uh, wealth, our whole power. It's like loving God with all your all your strength because a son is the strength of a father. We can be like Isaac who was willing to lay down uh, upon the altar and actually surrender his life. Surrender his life to him. So that is akin to loving God with all of our heart because we we what we love more than anything is our own life. And so when we lay down our life for Hashem, that's like loving God with our whole heart. And we can be like Jacob, who surrendered his soul, surrendered his will, surrendered his emotions, surrendered his intellect, so to speak, to the will of God. He did not argue with God. He did not say, I don't understand your Torah. What do you mean we can't have shrimp? I like shrimp. It tastes good. What do you mean pork? I like it. It tastes good. What do you mean I have to dress like this? What do you mean I have to keep the Sabbath? Don't you know all the stores are open on Shabbat? Don't you know that's when all the best sales happen? What do you mean? I don't understand. No, but instead he surrendered his will, and that is like loving God with all of our mind. Right? So we see that we can have the akedos of the patriarchs in our own lives. So it says, continuing on the story, so it says, now Rebecca was listening again in uh, verse 6. But Rebecca had said to Jacob, her son, Behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother, saying, Bring me some game and make uh, delicacies to, to eat, and I shall bless you in the presence of Hashem before my death. So she emphasized in the presence of Hashem, meaning that this was the for real, for real blessing that was going to be done in the presence of the Holy One, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? And so she's, she's telling her son, this is very critical. So, it says here, she says in verse uh, 8, So now, my son, heed my voice to that which I command you. Go now to the flock and fetch me there two choice young kids of the goats, and I will make them delicacies for your father as he loves. Then bring it to your father, and he shall eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Now, of course, Jacob replied to his mother and said, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Now, there is a very interesting insight to this particular uh, uh, section, which relates directly to the, to the issue of, or the, or the concept or the question of meat and, meat and dairy separation. 
right? Meat and dairy separation. I taught a class on this at length at one point, um, and I've shared it with several people, and uh, I've even put it on our timeline here at, at some point. And somebody asked me about it just the other day. But anyway, that, that class I taught uh, about an hour or more, and it covers it in great detail. But there's an interesting drop here um, in verse 16. It says, With the skin of the goat kid. So, uh, it says here, The Torah prohibits cooking meat and milk together, eating such a mixture, or benefiting from it by telling us three times you shall not cook a gedi in the milk of its mother. The word is gedi, not, uh, not, it's not uh, anything else, but gedi. Even though the Torah uses the word gedi, which is often associated with goats, the biblical prohibition actually applies to the meat of all kosher animals, including cows, sheep, and goats. How do we know that Getty includes these other animals? Well, from Chulim 113b, from the Talmud, right? Uh, as it's interpreted by our sages who uh, were there at Sinai. It says, our pursuk, our pasuk, excuse me, refers to the skin of the Getty of goats. Gedi if Gedi would refer only to goats, the Torah would not have had Rivka use the Gedi of goats. She specifies to her son, get, get to Gedi, the ones from the goats. Now, if she, if you tell somebody, go get me two puppies, are they going to go bring you back kittens? No, right? Because they know a puppy's a puppy. But if there was a word in English for puppy, that also meant kitten, you'd have to say, go get me the puppy of the dogs versus the puppy of the cats. So he says here, give me the getty of the goats. Why? Because a getty could be a cow. A getty could be a sheep. So it says here, so we see that it's only, it is only when the Torah specifies getty of goats that the term refers only to goats. Otherwise, getty can refer to other animals such as cows and sheep as well. So if you have someone you're talking to, or maybe you yourself have had this thought, you're wondering uh, that this only applies, meat and dairy separation only applies if you're having goat meat, then uh, you know that obviously that is an incorrect statement. So, by the way, the Baal HaTorum has an interesting, a couple of interesting insights about when this happens. Um, it says that, it says, go now to the flocks. The initial letters of Na'el HaZon. Spell na'e, fitting. This will be fitting for you and fitting for your descendants to bring two young kids. For it was the day of the Corbin Pesach, and he took two kids, one for the Pesach offering and one for the Hagiga offering. So this specific event happened actually on Pesach Eve, on the 14th of Nisan. So we have the blessing that has been given is, is about to be given to uh, Yaakov, and this is happening on the 14th of Nisan, which obviously is a critical date. We'll learn about that in just a moment. So he says here, verse 12, Jacob is providing some, uh, he's providing some, uh, what do you call it, some resistance, some objections. He says, Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall be a mocker in his eyes. I will thus bring upon myself a curse rather than a blessing. But his mother said to him, 
your curse be upon me, my son. Only heed my voice and go fetch for me. So he went, fetched, and brought to his mother, and his mother made delicacies as his father loved. Now this is a very critical part right here. It says, Rebekah then took her older son Esau's clean garments, which were with her in the house, and clothed Jacob, her young son. Makes total sense. She wants to, uh, he wants to make it appear as if he's Esau. So the best thing he can do is wear Esau's clothes. Makes sense, except for the fact that uh, his father's blind. So what's the matter? What kind of clothes you wear, right? Well, I can understand putting the, the hair on your arm to make it feel hairy. Uh, I can understand, you know, the voice thing. But uh, what's the matter? What kind of clothes you wear? Maybe his father, you could make the argument, maybe his father was going to steal him, and somehow his dad knew all the different threads that Esau wore, and so he would say, hey, I know that garment, I love that coat. I don't know. But that's not really the issue. That's not why. There's a reason why he wore the garments. First of all, is because the garments were representative of the garments of the high priest, as brought down by our sages. And we're going to learn that why it was the high priest garments that he was wearing. It wasn't the literal high priest garments like we see in the tabernacle, but it was a different type of garment. So the art school of Fumash says, Esau's clean garments. The translation follows Ankelos. Alternatively, they were the precious garment that Esau stole from the great hunter Nimrod. This is when he came in and he was hungry for the soup. He said, feed me, I'm going to die. He had just come back from killing Nimrod. And he stole Nimrod's clothes. Okay, so he's got the garments of a king. This is, but there's a reason why his mother was keeping those garments in her house. Think about it. Esau's a grown man. He has two, count them, two Hittite wives. They do all of his laundry. They do all of his cleaning. They, they fold the clothes. They put everything into the uh, Maytag washing machine, and everything comes out sparkling clean. Why does he need to keep his clothes in his mama's house? The answer is because these are special clothes. These are anointed clothes, and Esau did not trust his wives. Why? Because they're idolaters. And so he was afraid that maybe they might steal these precious garments and sell them, and uh, he would be without them. So he had his mother, his Ema, keep them in safekeeping. So why? What's the deal about the garments? Okay, they belong, they belong to Nimrod. Okay, all right. Well, it says, uh Sifsei HaKamim brings down that Esau's garments, which Yaakov was wearing, originally belonged to, to Nimrod, and they were coveted, and they were stolen from him by Esau. Nimrod obtained them from Adam, who wore them in the Garden of Eden. So we see here that the main thing was that these were the garments that Hashem had made Adam in the Garden of Eden, which is why Nimrod had stolen them, because there was an anointing on them. They were spiritual garments, and the sages say that this is how Nimrod became such a great hunter and such a great ruler and such a great king. So Esau wanted those garments to take for himself. Now, Rabbi Moltz brings down, quoting from uh, verse 27, because well, let's just read. Let's read and get there, and then we'll bring this down. By the way, there was a disagreement Rabbi Monk talks about 
the two young uh, kids of the goats. He says that uh, there are those who say that this happened on the 14th of Nisan. There was two kids. There's others, according to the Zohar, quoting from Rabbi Yehuda, who says that these two kids represent the two goats of Yom Kippur. So there seems to be a contradiction that uh, these are two kids, and so this is happening as the, as the, as the son who was offered is sending his blessing to Jacob, who will take the mission forward. And so there seems to be a, uh, a contradiction. Was it two kids from, for Pesach, or was it two, the two goats, the atonement goats for uh, Yom Kippur? Are they atonement goats, or are they, goat, or are they sheep? Which is it? And the answer is yes, because this goes back to the prophecy from uh, Joel that says, I will give you the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And this is what Mashiach did for us. Mashiach was both the Lamb of God, the, the, who, who redeems us from Egypt for Pesach, and he is also the atonement goat who wipes away our sin and restores us. And he did this with a single sacrifice during the month of Nisan, which is why the sages say the Akidah was Isaac was offered during Pesach, and now he's blessing his son Yaakov, who this is like an Akidah for him, during Pesach. So in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, we receive both the latter and the former rain, which is the atonement uh, of Pesach, or excuse me, the freedom of Pesach and the atonement of Yom Kippur. So we have here, again, continuing on our reading, it says, Isaac said to his son, so he, he, he uh, Jacob gets dressed, comes in with the skins of the goat, he covered his arm, he, she placed the delicacies and the bread, and she gave him in her, in her uh, sons to Jacob, verse 18, and he came to his father and said, Father, and he said, Here am I, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, It is I, Esau, your firstborn, I have done as you told me, rise up, please sit and eat my game, that your soul may be blessed. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you were so quick to find my son? And he said, Because the Shemir God arranged it for me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Come close, if you please, so I can feel you, my son. Are you indeed my, my son Esau or not? So, it says, uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac said to his son, How is it you were so quickly... Uh, or, I'm sorry, I read that part. Let's go. It says, uh, so Jacob drew close to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are Esau's hands. But he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, uh, like the hands of Esau, his brother. So he blessed him, and he said, you are indeed my son Esau. And he said, I am. And he said, serve me and let me eat some of my son's game, and my soul may bless you. So he served him, and he ate, and he brought him wine and drink. Then his father Isaac said to him, come close, if you please, and kiss me, my son. So he drew close and kissed him and smelled the fragrance of his garments and blessed him. And he said, see, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field which Hashem has blessed. The art scroll Kumash brings down that what he was smelling was the fragrance of Gan Eden. And it even says in the uh, Talmud, and actually he says in the Talmud that he was smelling the fragrance of a Orchard of sacred apples. It says in Balhaturim, an interesting gematria. It says he smelled Vayarach. The gematria is 224, equivalent to that of Leil Pesach, 
the eve of Pesach. It has the same gematria. Moreover, the sages teach us that when Mashiach comes, he will judge us according to our sense, uh, to, excuse me, according to his sense of smell. He will, he will smell us and ask himself, so to speak, to, does this one smell like Ganadin? So we cannot mask smell. You cannot hide the way one smells. So why this fragrance of a field, though? He's wearing the gar garden of, of, of Adam. That's why. Because the uh, garment of Adam smells like the fragrance of a, of a field. But we're going to learn here specifically why, or, or I suppose the question is better asked, how does Isaac know this? So Rabbi Monk says, our last and final um, source of the Aliyah today. It says in uh, Rabbi Monk's commentary, the verse 27, he smelled the fragrance of his garment. But there is no order, odor, he writes, more disagreeable than the hide of a goat. So if, he's, if the garments here are goat's garments, this is a problem. That does not smell good, especially when they're damp. This teaches us that it had been permeated with a fragrance of Garden of Eden. To this explanation given by Rashi, the Zohar adds, the clothes worn by Jacob belonged to Esau, who through covetousness had taken them from King Nimrod, the great hunter. They had originally belonged to the first couple when they lived in paradise. Noah kept them in the ark during the flood. Nimrod subsequently appropriated them for himself, and then Esau took them as a possession from him. But by that time, they had lost the celestial fragrance of the Garden of Eden. Nevertheless, so they had lost their fragrance. Why? Because they were in the hand of idolatry. Nevertheless, as soon as Jacob clothed himself in them, they regained their original fragrance. That's why we've got to be clothed in Mashiach. We have to put on the mitzvot of Mashiach. And when we do, then the fragrance of Ganadin will be regained in our lives. For Jacob had the same physiognomy as Adam. He looked like Adam. He acted like Adam. He had the ethics of Adam. He was like, oh, I don't know, the second Adam. <laughs> This is the illusion anyway. He wasn't, we know that Mashiach was the second Adam, but you see that there's a precedent for the second Adam. So it says, he was a pure and righteous being formed in the image of the first man. Before his death, Jacob bequeathed these clothes to Joseph. This is what Rabbi Monk brings down, quoting from the commentary of the Zohar. The coat of many colors that Jacob gave Yosef was the garments of Adam, which his brothers dipped in blood and then presented them to his father and said, are these not, is this not the coat of your son? This is why it says in the book of Isaiah that when, when Hashem returns, Mashiach returns, that he will be wearing a vesture dipped in blood. Why? Because Mashiach is the second Adam. So it says, how did Isaac recognize the fragrance of a field which Hashem had blessed? That is, how did, how did Isaac know what paradise smells like? He wasn't there. Or maybe he was. And it says, he sensed the same sublime fragrance which had enveloped him while he was bound as a sacrifice on the altar of Mount Moriah. It was the same fragrance which he had known when he used to pray in the field beside the cave of Machpelah, his mother's burial place. Isaac recognized this wondrous perfume of paradise, which he had not encountered for so many years, and at once he understood 
that the son now before him was a holy person, an angel worthy of his blessing. He blessed him without hesitation. Moreover, it is with these exceptional circumstances still in his thoughts that Isaac later would insist to Esau, indeed, gam berchul yeyeh, gam baruch yeyeh, indeed, he shall remain blessed. End of our aliyah. I apologize profusely for all of the uh, internet issues with the video today. If you missed a few minutes, you can find it on the podcast. And uh, this is just what happens when you live in an imperfect world with imperfect technology. But we are going to be happy and joyful nevertheless. May you have a wonderful, blessed, awesome, beautiful, magnificent day. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you tomorrow with God's help as we look at the final sections of the Aliyah, the Parashah. Shalom, shalom.